Would you open God's precious holy word to Luke, the gospel of Luke chapter 24, and we have come to verse 13. And I'm going to read this account from Luke that begins in verse 13 and goes all the way through verse 35 and then draw some things from this passage, probably not just today, but God willing, maybe next Sunday as well, as we consider this great, tremendous account of these two who are walking on the road to Emmaus. Okay, so Luke's gospel has taught us that Christ has risen from the dead. The women who came, found the tomb empty to anoint his body with spices, found the tomb empty. They had an experience with two angels who said to them, he's not here, he's risen. Don't you remember what he said to you in Galilee? So then in Matthew's account, we learn that one of them actually saw Christ, thought he was the gardener, then recognized him. They ran to tell the 11 disciples, Judas now having, of course, departed their number. The 11 plus, the Bible says, plus the others who were with them. So there were the 11 and then there were several other disciples who didn't understand. They didn't know what to do. They were still thinking that the Messiah, of course, would come just in that great glorious time and establish the kingdom Overlooking the passages of, that spoke of a suffering Messiah who first must come in and suffer for his own. So they're very confused at this point in time and still don't understand the scriptures and are very afraid. Two of those people who were in that room when the women came and gave their report are Klippas and his companion. Now they're depressed. The assembly that was there with the 11, the 11 plus the others has disassembled. They've, they're going their own way. These two who were there are headed out back home to Emmaus. So we're gonna pick up the story here and read a rather lengthy passage of scripture and for today, I'd like to make four points from the passage that we're going to look at today. Beginning in verse 13, Luke 24. And behold, on the same day, two of them were going to a distant village, 62 stadia from Jerusalem. Now that's, that's about eight miles, eight miles. They're walking eight miles from Jerusalem back home to Emmaus. Takes about, takes about an hour and a half to walk eight miles. Is that about right? 
Is that close? Takes me about 14 hours, but uh, if there are enough park benches along the way. Hour and a half, two hours. So this is their journey. They're walking home. They were talking with one another about all these things having taken place. And it happened in their talking and reasoning that Jesus himself, having drawn near, was walking along with them. All of a sudden, there he is. But their eyes were restrained. They were seized. They were restrained not to know him. Then he said to them, what are these words you exchange with one another while walking? They stood still, looking sad. The one named Cleopas said to him, you visit Jerusalem and alone, or to put it another way, you have been in, you're coming from Jerusalem and you're the only one who doesn't know what has been happening in these past days. And he said to them, what things? They said to him, then the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a man, a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to the judgment of death and crucified him. And we were hoping it was he who was about to redeem Israel. But indeed, with all this, it is the third day since these things happened. And also certain women of our women astonished us, having been early to the tomb and not having found his body. They came also declaring to have seen a vision of angels who say he's alive. And some of those went with us to the tomb and found it so, just as the women said. However, they did not See him. Now you remember when the women came in and said, We saw the Lord, he's, he's, he's alive, and all this. They didn't believe him. They thought they were speaking foolishness. So that's why they're sad and on their way home. Some of us went, but we never saw him. Now this is the irony of the whole thing. There he is with them, but you know. And he said to them, oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer and to enter into his glory? And having begun from Moses and from all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And they drew near to the village where they were going. And he appeared to be going on from there. He wasn't going to stop there. It appeared as though he was going to go farther. And they constrained him saying, abide with us. For it is toward evening. And now the day has declined. And he entered in to abide with them. And it happened in his reclining with them. Having taken the bread, he blessed it. He began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished from them. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us as he was speaking with us on the road 
as he was opening the scriptures to us. And having risen up that same hour, they returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven gathered together and those with them saying, Indeed, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began relating the things on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now, now think about this. The divine process that our Lord is using to reveal himself, but more importantly, to reveal the importance of the scriptures when, when understood in the light of Christ. They asked him the question, are you the only person in the world who doesn't understand, who doesn't know what's been going on in the time of Passover, hundreds of thousands of people there and all the activity. And then the, the things that happened with regard to Jesus, the multitudes that were following him. Now Christ, Jesus could have said, he could have said something like this when they said, are you the only one? Where are you, what, you know? He could have said, well, you know, my week last week started out pretty good. I came in on a donkey and thousands and thousands of people were blessing me and, and praising the name of the Lord and the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They were happy to see me when I came in. I came into the temple, but I got mad because money changers were taking advantage of the people. And I was so angry, I physically engaged them and kicked them out. So that was kind of a bad day. But then I started teaching people And relating the scriptures to the importance of what my first coming is all about. And was happy to see so many people staying as long as they could all day to listen to my teaching. Very tired every day. I would go with my friends and we had a camp set up in the Garden of Gethsemane and we would stay there, but early the next morning, teaching the people. And then, of course, my friends and I observed Passover. One of my friends betrayed me. They paid him 30 pieces of silver, and I knew what was happening. And the dread of the hour came upon me as the Father began to withdraw and I became the sacrifice for sin of all my people to be led to the cross there to satisfy the sacrifice 
for sin as my father has appointed, had appointed me to do. So on that Thursday night, it started out as a good night, but it turned out to be kind of a bad night. Roman soldiers led by Kiliarch, 600 or so Roman soldiers, and then all the temple guard. Swords in the hands of the Roman soldiers, clubs in the hands of the temple guards. Took me away, they beat me, slapped me. Tore out my beard and then whipped me with a whip. And I was unjustly accused and I was, I was dragged before courts that were illegal. My arrest was illegal, everything about it. But I was dragged around like a lamb being led to the slaughter. That was a, that was a bad night. It got worse the next day. They crucified me. And I received the punishment of sin for my people and hung there until it was done and cried that it was finished and I yielded up my spirit. A secret disciple of mine, Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, intervened when they were going to take me down and throw me into Gehenna, the, the garbage dump of Jerusalem, as though I was a dog. He intervened and gave for me a tomb that had never been, that had never been used, a fresh tomb, and I was buried among the rich people. There I was. In the spirit, I kept a promise to the guy who died next to me. And he went with me to paradise. But I had to tell him I had other pressing affairs and I was going to have to leave him there. And I went through all day Saturday, my body in the tomb. Guards were posted for fear of some kind of shenanigans that Rome thought my disciples might conjure up. But when the father was ready to bring me out of the grave, all of the universe could not have stopped it. And so at dawn today, earlier today at dawn, the creative power of God, an energy that only God can send and produce. jolted into my dead body and I was raised up into a resurrected body 
Angels rolled the stone away. The, the guards were meaningless. I stepped out of there and saw a woman I knew this morning. Before I came here to see you guys. So how did your week go? <laughs> That's what he could have said. But that wasn't the divine plan here. So considering the things, and there is so much to talk about and to learn from this rather lengthy passage, let's just start today with these four points. The resurrected Christ and his disciples. Let's look at it. The first thing that I note is that he seeks us. These guys had given up. Cleopas and his companion, they were sad, depressed. It just didn't work the way they thought it was supposed to work. As we see the divine design, the Christ of God is appointed to suffer, thus to die. As Abraham said, the Lord would provide for himself a lamb and he would be the sacrifice for the sins of his people. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world all arranged in the time of Passover. Cleopas and his companion, at that point in time, were just disappointed. They knew about Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus, Son of God. He came seeking them. You see, we, we, we learn in the Bible that we're just spiritually dead until God Almighty Himself causes us to be born again. And in that rebirth gives us spiritual life so that now, even though we press on in the current state of affairs, looking for the blessed day. We still have spiritual life and now growing in that spiritual life, starting out as babes in Christ and moving and maturing forward. We have the ability now because God gave to us the gift of faith and according to Peter caused us to be born again and now we have the spiritual ability so that his spirit can bear witness with our spirit and we can learn and grow. He seeks us. We don't have that ability. There is no way that we know to seek Jesus. Paul writes to the Romans, he says, nobody seeks God. It is God who is the seeker. So he seeks us. The resurrected Christ. You know, these are two humble people. They're not, even, they're not even of the 11. You and I would think, well, Pontius Pilate might, might have been a good choice. 
to go and stand in front of or, or maybe some of the religious leadership of the day. By the design of God, the world is changed through humble, simple people who were sought out by Christ, called by him, empowered and strengthened by him to do his work in these present days until according to his plan, the work is finally finished and he comes again in power and glory. The first thing I learn here in this story is that it is Christ who seeks us and I thank God and I will spend into the ages of the ages seeking to know more of why he sought me. That the grace of God would be extended to me. I don't know. I don't deserve it. Nobody does, really. The second thing is he opens our eyes. They knew about Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. It takes, really, divine instruction. God has a plan for it. He has an organization for it in lifting up those who would be sent out to, to preach, to proclaim, to teach. Filled with his spirit, even yet still in a broken world, it's a miracle of God. In this case, it was Christ himself. Now, I want you to think about this. The Bible says that he was in Moses, in the books of Moses, and in the prophets. This was about a two-hour walk. And our Lord taught them and opened their minds to the scriptures of Moses and the prophets in about two hours. By their own, by their own testimony, they said, we were burning listening to this. We were on fire in our hearts listening to him teach us the word. Moses, the prophets, Moses, well, it all started out with the promise of the seed of woman, an early promise, apparently of a virgin-born Christ. The woman doesn't have the seed. The man has the seed. All of the other things that Moses said, but then you go to the prophets and you look at Isaiah and you look at Micah and you look at Daniel and you look at uh, several places in Isaiah and Zechariah, to name a few. I mean, and so you put it together and you have, the, you have a, a virgin-born Christ who was born in Bethlehem, 
who does great things and then is offered as a sacrifice for sin and is cut off, Daniel says, or destroyed. And then he comes back. Sending forth his spirit, gathering to himself his own until the last of us are gathered and then he'll come again in power and in glory. So, about two hours, I don't know, once you start talking, maybe you slow down a little bit. What if it was three hours? How long does it take you to sit down and read the Old Testament? It takes a while. But here with teaching... Christ opens our eyes to the scripture. Now the, the next thing automatically follows. When Christ, when God himself through his spirit in his divine way opens our eyes to the scriptures, he reveals himself. Now they have had these two hours, maybe three hours of teaching from Jesus. Still don't know who he is. They constrain him to stay the night in their abode. He serves bread. Apparently it was the nail prints in his hands. But something happened. And they knew it was the Lord. And he vanished. Did you know, once Christ opened the scriptures to their eyes in light of himself, they, they didn't need the physical presence of Christ anymore. Christ here showing that the word is sufficient and powerful enough to bear witness with us and to our spirits to teach to us truth. So he seeks us. When he comes to us, he opens our eyes by teaching, by scripture. And then automatically it happens. He reveals himself. This is how we know Christ through his word. There is no other way. The last thing he does is he compels us to tell others. The end of that passage shows us that the first thing they want, they didn't, hey, it was nighttime, didn't matter. They went right back to Jerusalem. We have to tell somebody. We have to tell somebody that Jesus is alive. Because you see, if Christ is alive, then as we are taught, all who are in Christ are made to be alive because the same spirit that raised him from the dead will raise us from the dead as well. This is our blessed hope. We live forever in Christ. So many more things. I'm going to stop here with this one today. If God gives us next Sunday... I want to bring from that passage 
and others that would hang on that passage. The nature of the resurrected body as we're taught in the scriptures. But for now, here is God's divine plan performed by none other than Jesus Christ. He seeks us. You would not be in faith. Listen, you can't go to where he is. He has to come to where you are. We're taught in John that we didn't love him first. He loved us first. We don't go to him. He comes to us. And he seeks us. And then that very seeking opens our eyes through his word. And in his word, we cannot help as his having sought us. We cannot help but see him And filled with his joy and knowledge, we must tell others. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ, Son of God, came into the world to save sinners. The plan of God that's given to us in our scriptures is simply this. A, admit that you're a sinner. In need of a savior and we cannot save ourselves. We're of a fallen race. B, believe in Jesus Christ. As Paul said to the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And finally, C, confessing sin, call on him. For the scripture says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved, shall be delivered. If you're here today and you would come to Christ, or if you're here today and you have come to Christ and you would publicly acknowledge that today, this invitation is open for you. Just come to me and take me by the hand and let me pray with you. That you might follow the Lord in baptism according to his plan, his purpose, and his command. Maybe you're here, you're already a Christian, and God leads you to come and be a part of this congregation. The invitation is open for you as well. You come and we'll take care of all the details of church membership if that's what God wants in your life. Father God in heaven, bless this invitation. And use it as you see fit, and whatever happens, we will thank you for it and glorify you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together sing. Would you come?